Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning, uh, Sojourn, on this snowy winter wonderland. It's going to be really distracting for me. I don't know how much you guys can see the windows, but all I can see are the windows. So if you see me looking this way and you think, there's no one sitting over there, it's because I'm admiring what God is doing during this, this gathering. Um, appreciate everyone being here. I, I know it's a little bit smaller than uh, some weeks, and I was reminded this morning, um, please don't hear me coming across this harsh. Here, this is positive, the Paul trip. I gave the men the devotional Paul trip. At the retreat, and he hits it like every single time. Um, he said this morning at the top of his devotion, I said, Corporate worship is a regular, gracious reminder that it's not about you. That hit me in the face. This is where I want, I want to say it carefully because sometimes, myself included, I don't want to gather. <laughs> I just have to put on a front, a better front than you guys, um, and, and show up. But it's a reminder for us when we, when we kind of have options that this is the reminder that we need about our lives and that it's not about us and that we make it about us when we kind of like, it's optional. You guys know my heart in that, hopefully. But I saw that and it kind of smacked me in the face because I was like, I went to, Andrea was still in bed. And I was like, Andrea, corporate worship's not about us. <laughs> she's like, not about making us feel better. And she's like, I can't go today. I gotta stay home. And I was like, oh no, but she's worshiping online. Um, but this Sunday is the, for us, it's the start of Advent. Technically, it started last week, but with our fall retreat and our second Peter series, we kind of held off for a week. Um, and Advent is the time of year within the church calendar where the church worldwide sets aside uh, four weeks leading up to Christmas where they anticipate the coming of Jesus, the, fir- the first coming of, of Jesus. And when you think about our culture and you think about December, it's kind of a season of, of giving. We just came out of, uh, well, we came out of the gluttony of Thanksgiving and all the shopping, but then we kind of went into uh, the Giving Tuesday where you can give to a nonprofit, right? You have that, so it's a season of giving. But think about Advent actually as an opportunity to open our lives to receive, and that we're receiving Jesus coming to us in the flesh. And so I want us to sojourn to join with Christians around the world, churches in Portland, churches in the country, churches literally all over the globe. As we create space to slow down during what's usually a busy season. If you're like me, you'll hit your calendar. Man, we got a party here, basketball game here, schools here, all these events. But I want to invite us at least when we gather to slow down and to prepare our hearts to not let just the season just fly by like it typically does and reflect on the fulfilled promise of Jesus coming. I invite you to think through how this historic event actually changes everything. I know we hear that language a lot when we, we hit Easter, and, and 100%, but we have to start with the birth and the coming of Christ in order to get to Easter. And so uh, this should frame our lives, how we live year-round, not just at Christmas time. Like, yes, we set this aside to remember that specifically, but that, that we look at it and year-round, it should change how we live our lives. If Jesus actually came, especially the way that is described in Scripture that he came to us in his first coming. And so at Advent, we get to celebrate the good news of the arrival of Jesus. Jesus breaks into the ordinariness of life, where there had been this this period of of silence in the midst of our often broken, messy lives to offer us good news. This is the promised fulfillment of what had been predicted for years and years and years, uh, that the prophets have been saying this will happen, and that that people were actually mocked and made fun of for actually believing. So what we find in Advent, it's an unlikely hero (coughs) arriving to an unlikely place, 
to an unlikely people, and Jesus shatters all expectations. This is not how we would have written this story. The long-awaited Savior, the King of the Jews, this is not how we would have written this story. He would have ridden in on a chariot, and he would have had wealth and prestige, but instead we find quite the opposite. I don't know if you could have gotten a more opposite story. So this year we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, we are going to be looking at the announcement and the arrival of Jesus through the lens of Mary from the Gospel of Luke. And so we've actually, we were in the Gospel of Luke last year, we kind of looked at it from some different angles, but, but this year we're going we're gonna to kind of focus on, on Mary's perspective. Now, as you hear that, and I know we have some Catholic background, so you might hear that, and you, um, I want to say this. I believe it's true that Catholics make too much of Mary. Okay? If my priest cousin who's my age is watching this, we could fight about this online. Uh, to the point of worshiping her. Not all Catholics, so don't, don't mishear me. However, I think Protestants, which is where we would be categorized, have been equally guilty of overreacting and making too little of Mary. Kind of just brushing Mary under the, the rug and not giving her any uh, significance and any importance in her life. And so as we look at this story through the lens of Mary, I want us to remember that Mary is not the object of our faith. It's not through Mary that, that we express our faith, but rather she is our example of faith in Jesus. So I want you to remember that throughout this series, that she, she gives us a model example of one that we look to, who learned of this news, who submitted to this news, and who lived this out. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We'll be in verse 26. Once again, Luke 1, 26. And our opening message today will focus on the fulfillment of prophecy and the pregnancy. So this is kind of part one and part two. Um, I want to do you guys a gracious favor. And so I think I did it. It might seem like really weird. We'll see when we get to the end. Might, I'm either going to be like a cliffhanger or it's going to be like, that was a really abrupt ending. We'll come back next week and we'll kind of pick it up. Um, but let me pray for us and then uh, we will get into this text today. God, we thank you again that we can gather as your church, as your bride. God, a reminder that it's not about us. It's about you. God, that, that in the season of giving, which, which I commend our culture for, that we can also, it's a season of receiving and receiving of you and the good news of your son Jesus coming to rescue us. So God, may we be reminded of that. May we, may we be reminded that we take this message to the city and the world around us. In your name. Have you ever taken the time to think through the reality that the very first human, the very first person to hear the good news about Jesus was a low-income teenage girl from a podunk town? She was the first to find out Jesus' name. She was the first to know that he was going to be the son of God. She was the first to realize that her son would be God's everlasting, death-defying king. Yes, a low income, uh, from, from what studies show, is probably a young teenage girl from this podunk town. Mary's actually the most common name for a Jewish girl at this time. So by all accounts, she was just another Mary. It's just having you know, common, a common name. But then the angel comes to her, and this is what separates her from every other Mary, her life, is that in an instant, the low-income girl from a small town became the place where God stepped into humanity. So I want us to kind of let that sink in. Low-income, teenage girl, minding her own business, at least we assume. And then her life is radically changed. 
not in a way that she sought after either. Now, centuries before Jesus was born, prophets had warned of God's judgment was coming if they did not repent. But God's people did not listen. So the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians, and then the southern kingdom of Judah was conquered by the Babylonians. It was during this time that the prophets promised that one day, one day that God would send an everlasting king to rescue his people. A king even better than Israel's king, David. But like a couple longing year after year to become pregnant, only to be disappointed by not becoming pregnant, God's people waited and waited and waited. And there was no such king had arrived. Things did eventually start to look up for the Jews. But then they were eventually barred from practicing their faith. And the temple in Jerusalem was turned into a pagan shrine. This was one of the low time places for God's people. Eventually, though, Jews bounced back. And in 164 BC, the temple was cleansed and daily offerings resumed. This is a moment that Jews still celebrate today at Hanukkah. But that everlasting king, the one that had been promised, the one that they're waiting for, never arrived. The one that the prophets had said would one day come. So the internal strife continued. The Jews were allowed to worship as they pleased. So that was good. And in 37 BC, the Romans appointed an official king of the Jews, Herod the Great. If you know much about church history, and if you know much about Herod the Great, he was more of a puppet king ruling under Roman authority. So he was, he was limited. This was still not what they were looking for. So it's here in this world, it's in this context, this weary world in which a Jewish girl named Mary was born. Things were looking hopeless. Things were looking bleak. Things were not looking as people had hoped and had expected. You can imagine people year after year kind of turning around and walking away. We don't actually know a whole lot about Mary's background. She was relatively poor. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, and she lived in a backwater village in Galilee known as Nazareth. But Mary of Nazareth was also the woman who God sent an angel with a prophecy that his ancient promises were coming true at last. God chose her and sends an angel to her Say so what you have been waiting for, what your people have been longing for, is going to come true, and it's going to come true through you. So let's look now at this fulfillment of prophecy, pregnancy from Luke 1, verses 26 through 33. Number one, Mary and the angels arrived. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, from the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. First thing I want us to notice here, it's easy to miss. It's God who takes the initiative by sending the angel Gabriel to Nazareth of Galilee. It's God's initiative. And then it says he specifically sent the angel to the Virgin Mary, who was betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, before we get to the actual message that Gabriel had come to deliver, we see an emphasis on Mary being described in two ways. First, it says she was a virgin. Second, it says she was betrothed. Now, I want to assume you all know, at least most, what it means to be a virgin. But the state of being a virgin describes Mary's state both before the conception and during the pregnancy. In Matthew's account of this, it says in Matthew 1.25, but Joseph knew her not. Okay? 
that not miss. He didn't know her until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, we're focused on Mary this year, but I can imagine Joseph's kind of freaked out, too, in this whole process, and we'll, we'll touch on him some at the same time. But how do we know that she was really a virgin, and does it even matter? First, the Old Testament quietly implies this. You look back at Genesis 3.15, it, it foretells right there, the first account of the gospel, that one day. Um, so let's just kind of recap. world's been created. Everything's perfect. Man and woman walk in the garden. That's how we long for it to be. And then man and woman mess up. They sin. And then in that moment, God punishes him, them. And then he also says, but one day, I'm going, to, I'm going to send somebody. So back in Genesis, it quietly implies. And loudly, we see prophecies of the virgin birth um, of Jesus in Isaiah 7, 14, which says, therefore... The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So the New Testament writers go into detail and emphasize this reality of the virgin birth in both Luke 1 and in Matthew 1. But a few things I want us to look at, just real briefly, I'm just going to hit these. It's a few things scripture does not teach about the virgin birth. And maybe you've heard some of these. We get, just got out of 2 Peter talking about false teachers. So these would be some of the things false teachers would try to Sneak in your mind, trying to get you to leave out the virgin birth. One, Scripture does not teach that Mary did not have a normal delivery. Second, Scripture does not teach that Mary re remained a virgin the rest of her life. Third, Scripture does not teach that Jesus' virgin birth was a myth taken from other religions. Fourth, Scripture does not teach that belief in the virgin birth proves the deity of Jesus. Fifth, Scripture does not teach that our sin nature is passed only through the male line. Six, Scripture does not teach that Mary knocked boots with God. Put it nicely. And seven, Scripture does not teach that Jesus' virgin birth is unimportant. Okay, so we see a few things Scripture does not teach about the virgin birth. So why does the virgin birth of Jesus matter? And maybe you've never thought about this. Maybe you don't really care. Maybe you find yourself saying that, does it really matter? It's not that big of a deal. I think it actually is a pretty big deal. And that's why I want to hit on this point just a little bit. The only alternative to a virgin birth Offered in scriptures that Mary was a sexually sinful woman who conceived Jesus illegitimately, which was the accusation in Jesus' day. That's what false teachers were saying, that this is what, how it happened. Second, if the virgin birth of Jesus is untrue, then the story of Jesus changes dramatically. We would have a sexually promiscuous woman, young woman, who's lying about God's miraculous hand in the birth of her son, and she's raising that son to declare that he is God and then joining his religion. And if all those things are true, then it's all false. She actually did a pretty darn good job of it. Because <laughs> we're still here all these years, all these years mm -hmm. later. Therefore, as one pastor I listened to said it this way, the virgin birth is a primary doctrine. It does matter if it's true. Because if we lose the virgin birth, we lose the very core of what it means to be a Christian because we diminish the trustworthiness of Scripture, Jesus and the witness of his own mother. So the virgin birth is Second is, is scripture is betrothed. So, uh, betrothed is a legally binding engagement only separated. You can only separate it by divorce. So it's a little bit, little bit further than what we look at as engagement. And so it says that she, she was not able to break it unless you actually went through the divorce protocols and procedures. And in fact, in Matthew's gospel, that's what it says Joseph was planning to do. In, in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 19 of Matthew, it says, he resolved to divorce her quietly. Because even in that, Joseph was like, you know what? I don't want to slander her. I don't want to throw her in the bus. 
clearly she did something, so I'm going to quietly divorce her and just kind of move on, move on my way. So far we have the angel Gabriel arriving on the scene to an unassuming virgin Mary who is betrothed to a man named Joseph. Number two, the announcement of Jesus. Next slide, Neil. Start in verse 28. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. If you remember Mary's background, this would be a really strange scene on multiple levels. An angel is visiting her. Okay, imagine some young teenage girl just hanging out in her room, making TikTok videos, and an angel of the Lord visits her. She is greeted by being called favored one. And she's reminded that the Lord is with her. You see, Mary knew that she was no one special. But we find an angel of the Lord, the angel Gabriel, coming in and saying quite the opposite. And it says, however, that Mary was greatly troubled. But she's not greatly troubled at the sight of an angel. That's not what it says. It says she's greatly troubled by the saying, you are the favored one. So they're being like, what? The favored what? What are you, what are you talking about? What is, what is this? So how could she, an unknown young woman, be described by God in this way? That you are the favored one. Maybe you can relate have you ever felt this way about your life? That you're small, that you're insignificant. God doesn't notice you. God doesn't care about you. God doesn't care about your ordinary life. I imagine in some way this is how Mary felt. Like me. The favored? The favored one. Who, who was she that God would take notice of her as, and, and find favor in her at that? After all, she's just a poor girl from a out on town. This would be like the Secret Service agent coming in this morning and looking for you because the President of the United States has called you for an important task. Like they, You have information that they need. Okay, either someone's been lying about their life or there's something that you're like, like the President needs you. you you've, you've got the intel that we need or you've got the information that we need. And you'd be like, what? No, you've got, you've got the wrong part. How did you even find the Oregon Stamp Society? Like, <laughs> nobody can find that. Like, how did you know that I would be here on this day? And they come in and say that we need you. You say, who am I? The, the president of the free world would, would need me. He's a powerful person. And then Gabriel goes on, starting in verse 30. He says, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You should call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So what Gabriel's doing is he's actually pointing back to Old Testament prophecies. He's, he's, he's pointing back to these prophecies, saying they will find their fulfillment in the baby that, that Mary is going to conceive. So he references prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, who had spoken of a king that would be born to sit on David's throne forever. And he's referencing the prophet Micah, who had spoken of a ruler who would be born in David's hometown of Bethlehem. He would bring peace to the ends of the earth. Rebecca McLaughlin said this. She said, the angel Gabriel's news delivered to one small town teenage girl was like a flaming torch unleashed in the darkness 
a song of hope amid the groans of Jewish pain. It was a call to arms with the promise of unquestionable victory. God's long-awaited king was on his way. His name would be Jesus, which means the Lord saves, and he would be Mary's son. So we find Mary here. She's the recipient of God's grace. God sent the angel Gabriel. She received this message. She's not the giver of God's grace. Mary knew that she was nobody special. Mary did nothing to receive the favor of God or to be chosen by God. It is God's grace, his choosing, and through her to be a blessing of his grace to all the world. God's choice of Mary to bear this child springs from his grace. It wasn't like God, once again, I'm trying to hit this point, because you think about our own salvation. You've given your life to Christ. And as we sometimes struggle in that journey, we might, who am I? Who am I that God chose to offer me salvation? Who am I that God chose to call me favored and beloved? It all starts with Mary, the very first one to recognize who Jesus actually was and who he actually is. And so we find Mary is the object of God's unmerited, gracious provided goodness. And he's, she's described as one who has found favor with God. May that be a description of us. But that is a person who has found favor with God. Because of God. Gabriel goes on to explain that she will conceive and bear a son, the announcement of Jesus' birth. But he stresses three things about Jesus' position. He stresses that he will be the son of God. That he will be the son of the Most High. And he'll be a ruler. We see the name of the true God comes from Genesis, where Melchizedek, king of Salem, identifies Yahweh as God's most high. So this becomes a common name for God, Yahweh. For the monotheistic Israelites, and especially in the Psalms. And so we find Mary, and we're going to get into part of this will be in part two. So if you're like, I didn't see that, we're going to get into it next week. But we find Mary totally perplexed by the sudden announcement. She's like, Who's me? Unfavored? Remember, she's a young teenage girl who is a virgin who is suddenly told she will conceive. You'd be freaked out too. Like, you're wrong, right? I hope, I hope you're not. Like, I'm going to get canceled. Like, that's not how things work. She did not ask for or seek this role in God's plan. God has simply stepped into her life and he brought her into his service. And so what Luke does for us in his account of the gospel, he paints a portrait of Mary that is significant. That's why I had Andrea do our Advent event, uh, series this year, the, the just simple Mary and the baby Jesus. And then we're going we're to see in the coming weeks, she is faithful by taking God at his word. And she is favored by God. And Luke wants us to identify with the example of Mary. And next week as we continue the story, we'll see that she believes God. She is obedient. She is worshipful. So we see in Luke's account of, of Jesus, he focuses on what I call the, the earth up. Sometimes certain gospel accounts, why people start with Gospel of John, is like from heaven down. But Luke kind of comes up from a different angle. Sometimes we can relate to it a little bit more. Meaning that people, one step at a time, come to Jesus for who he really is. That's part of that journey that we talk about inviting all people. We're all at different steps in that journey. And this all starts with his birth mother, the Virgin Mary. Now, culturally, we'll see, we'll get this next week, she would be shamed, humiliated, 
She'll be exiled and possibly even killed for getting pregnant outside of marriage. The good news announcement was quite the opposite for a teenage girl who was unmarried and poor at that. This would shatter her small world and any hope she had of, of getting out of her possible situation. But Mary knew the promises of Isaiah. and She lived by the power of God and therefore she serves as an example to all of us. She loved God. And while not sinless like her son, she did live in a holiness marked by virginity until marriage. Even in that, we see this like subtle implication of her life. Martin Luther pointed out that while the virgin conception was God's greatest miracle in Mary's life, the fact of her faith in God was perhaps, perhaps her greatest miracle of all. The fact that she actually believed God, that this message came to her, and that she chose to receive it instead of running away from it. So it is our prayer at Sojourn, like by God's grace, we will follow this wonderful example of a teenage girl who was honored by God with the, the birth and raising of our Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, who came to save sinners from our sins. Beautifully, our new birth, what's offered to us, fellow sinners, is that, that through Jesus, after his birth, that eventually he goes through the cross. And he offers all mankind a way to be reconciled to God. All that longing, all that hope, and that it starts with Mary choosing to believe God and walk in obedience to God. So let me pray for us this morning. And we're going to move to our time of response. God, we thank you for another week where we can gather as your church. God, that we would be reminded that we are in a season of receiving or as we anticipate and long for your first coming. God, that your first coming had to take place before you could go to the cross. And it had to take place the way that Scripture described it. God, when we look at Mary, not worship her, but when we look at Mary and see an example of receiving your mercy and grace, Choosing to obey you even when it doesn't make sense. Choosing to follow in the path that you laid out before us. That's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.